John chapter 13, verse number 34. Jesus speaking his, to his disciples says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Somebody say, you better love each other. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. For by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Amen. You can be seated tonight. We're going to begin our series called Love Like Jesus. And I want, I want to start off just talking a little bit uh, about an overview of what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks. Is it, it was in the middle of John's first epistle that he began to address the New Testament believers about how to discern who is of God and who isn't of God. Anybody ever wondered that? Uh, how, how do we discern the body? How do we know who's of God and who is not of God? And it was a moment in church history where false teachers were multiplying, new messages were emerging, false revelations were sweeping through the new church, uh, the New Testament church, and the people were struggling to figure out who was real and who was fake, who had the truth. And who was carrying a lie. And so it was into that context that John, the beloved disciple and friend of Jesus, began to explain how to tell who the real Christians were. Somebody say the real Christians. It's really not altogether different than some of the debate that we hear today. Because it was much like today within the ranks of early Christianity, there were some that were real and there were some that were fake. There were some that were in it for money and some that were in it for fame. There were some that were in it because they genuinely believed and trusted the Lord. And so John spoke of discerning the real from the fake by, by several things. And I'm not going to get into all of them because I, I could spend, I mean, that's a whole nother series. Um, but John, he says, we, we can tell the real from the fake by number one, comparing their message against the original message of the apostles. He said that if they preach the truth that we have preached from the beginning, that they are of God, right? And so we can discern true Christians by whether or not they have held the message, the original message of Christianity. Now, here's where I get to press pause on the series and say, I'm glad that I'm a part of the church that still preaches the same message that was preached on the day that the church first began. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we know by whether or not they carry on with the original message of the apostles. And second, he says, we can tell by whether or not they continue to sin or whether they choose to walk in righteousness. And John kind of goes through in that passage and he's dealing with walking uh, in righteousness. And those that are born of God do not continue or make a practice of sinning. And I, I'm not going to get too deep into that because then John turns his attention for the greater part of the rest of his book in 1 John to the issue that we're here to talk about tonight. Everybody say love. John wants to talk to the church about love. And in 1 John 3.10, he says, In this, the children of God 
and the children of the devil are manifest. He says, you want to know who's real and who's fake. You want to know who's of God and who's of the devil. He says, in this they are manifest, for whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Okay, so if, they, if they're living in sin, they're not of God. If they make practice of sin, they're not, in, not of God. He says, whoever does not practice righteousness is, of not, is not of God. But listen to this, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So he says, if you really want to know who the real Christians are, look at how they love one another. Number one, do they walk in righteousness? Have they repented of sin and turned their back on the world? And, and number two, do they love their brother? For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Somebody say, we've got to love each other. He says, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. He says, so do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. For we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. And he who does not love his brother abides in death. John is telling these new believers who are, are trying to draw a bead on what messages they should be listening to, listening to and, and what really defines the Christian life by telling them that love is central to the identity of the authentic Christian. Love is at the core of who we are called to be. He said, this is what you were shown and taught from the beginning. And so here's John, just years later, decades later, that is pointing back to the beginning of the church. And he's saying that you have always known and you have always learned that love is a central identifier of the children of God. He says the world hates, but the church loves. The world kills, but the church gives life. The world has no regard for others, but the church guards and protects and restores one another. And John 13, 35, our text, Jesus said by this, Will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love? One for another. And so I want to tell you at the onset of this series that how we love identifies whether or not we are genuinely Christian. That's biblical. I know some, there's somebody out there thinking, I thought we weren't supposed to judge. Well, what did John write it for? <laughs> so we would know whether we're in the right or in the wrong. So we could be able to discern what is truth and what is a lie and and listen, go read this book of 1 John because there is so much more than just the topic we're talking about in there. And it's, it's a powerful and a great book. But, but I, what I want to pull from it tonight is that John uh, identifies love at the center of the Christian faith, at the center of the Christian identity. Because how we love identifies whether or not we are genuinely Christian. And there is no better model of love than Jesus himself. Nobody ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no greater love than the love of Jesus. You remember some of them old songs. They used to talk, if anybody knows about the love of Jesus. 
Anybody remember that one? So many good songs, but Jesus is the master of love. In fact, if it was not irreverent, we could call him the love doctor. Because <laughs> he can heal how you love. But he, he's the, the standard. He's the example. He's the measurement that we measure by. Because greater love hath no man than this, than he that would lay down his life for a friend. Jesus didn't just talk about love. Jesus openly displayed his love. And there is no greater love than the love of a Savior that would go to a cross for you and for me. For by this, 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. When it comes to love, there is no better pattern and no better model than Jesus. And so, this is the month of love. We're in February. It's the month of love. The world will be talking about romance this month. You'll be inundated with candy and hearts, chocolates, flowers, advertisements flying in your face. And all of them will be red and pink and purple. Our men are very excited about that. And... The world is going to be talking this month about what they think love looks like and how you should express it. You're going to hear ads on the radio uh, about the kind of gift that you should get for a loved one. And there's going to be Valentine's Day specials. And the world is going to focus in on what love they think love looks like. And so we thought the next few weeks we would lean into that and talk about what it really means to love. What it means to love like Jesus. And so we're going to look at how Jesus navigated relationships and how he displayed love to those around them leading up to the cross. And we're going to talk about how Jesus forgives sinners, how, how Jesus was a servant leader and that he washed feet. And we're going to talk about how Jesus broke bread with those that were not like him. And, and so we're going to take a look the next few weeks just at, at how Jesus loves And we're going to learn to love like Jesus. Anybody want to love like Jesus loves? Anybody will be willing to admit right up front that I'm not as good at that as I should be? Amen. I felt the Holy Ghost all day while I was studying and preparing for this because, man, it was some Lord was throwing some holy daggers. Oh, man, it's good stuff. But tonight I I want to start the first lesson off by talking about Jesus forgives. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus forgives. Amen. We are living proof that Jesus forgives. We are in this church. We're blood-bought. We are baptized in the name that is above every other name. And we're here tonight only because Jesus forgives. Because, listen, I'm going to stand here flat-footed and say not one of you out there deserves to be here. Not one of you. Not one of you are worth a a plug nickel. I heard a preacher say it was funny. I'm not really saying that. He was mad at his church. He said, y'all ain't worth a plug nickel. (laughs) But we're really not. We're not worth all that much. We're just sinners. Right? Without the Lord, we are lost and undone. We are left unto ourselves, And by ourselves, we ain't much. And listen, I'm not just going to point that out there. I'm going to say there's nobody on this platform. I'm sorry, Brother Adam, but I'm, I'm dragging you in with me. Nobody on this platform deserves to be here. None of us. Not worth anything. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet 
sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus forgave. And of all the markers of the love of Jesus, forgiveness stands out. Because Jesus' life and ministry was marked by his forgiveness toward sinners. He lived and breathed forgiveness. And so if you want to love like Jesus, you're going to have to learn to forgive like Jesus. You're going to have to learn to forgive like Jesus. And I know that sounds like a tall order, but I I had this thought, and maybe it'll mean something to you because it meant something to me. And you're probably going to laugh, but forgiveness is a lot like exercise. Because it's so much easier to talk about than to participate in. It's easier to quote the scriptures that you ought to forgive in 70 times 7. And I'll, I'll quote some of them tonight. It's easy to talk about. But when you're hurt, it's hard to do. Sometimes I go to the gym and they write out our exercises on the board. And I said, that doesn't look very hard. Look, it just says 10. But on eight or nine, I'm saying, what did I get myself into? I am hurting. That's how forgiveness is. Is Forgiveness is easier said than done. And the truth is that when you have been genuinely hurt, I'm not just talking about somebody offended you uh, or said something you didn't like on Facebook. When you have been genuinely hurt, wronged, betrayed, rejected, abused, neglected, or ignored, it is hard to forgive. Can I get an amen? I got to tell this story because um, Jocelyn and I were dating, and and while we were dating, we we both hard headed people, and uh, we had to work through some of that. And this was one of the occasions we were working through some of it. And uh, we were riding in the car, and we had been arguing about something, and it wasn't that big of a deal. But we were arguing. I think we were already engaged. In fact, we were planning our new life, and we were, we were driving along arguing. And uh, I said something that made her mad. I'm shocked as you are that that happened. Um, but I said something that upset her, and she, was, she started giving me the silent treatment. Does anybody know what the silent treatment is? I know. Any ladies here ever employed the silent treatment? <laughs> I started getting the silent treatment. We were driving along. For about 15 minutes, she clammed up and wouldn't say a word. And so I, I was wearing a watch, and I kept looking at my watch about every 10 seconds. And I just kept doing it. I just kept, we're driving down the road. I'm driving. I look at my watch. Just kept looking at it. Finally, she couldn't stand it anymore. She says, what are you looking at your watch for? I said, well, I was just wondering how long you're going to stay mad at me. And she died laughing because it really wasn't that big a deal. She died laughing. Everything was fine and everything was okay because it wasn't that big of a deal. I made her laugh. Guess what? That's never worked since. That was a one-time pass. It's never worked again, but I just caught her funny that day, and she, she forgave me. We moved on. We got married. We got, we got kids, you know, but, you know, I burned that, that card one time. But sometimes it's easy to forgive, but there are other times when it's not so easy to forgive. You were abused by a loved one, disappointed by a parent, abandoned by a spouse. It's harder to forgive when you've been deeply hurt. Wounded by a leader in your life. All sorts of stories that we could tell if we went around this room of the pain and the sorrow that others have inflicted in our lives. And so one of the most amazing pictures of forgiveness takes place actually while Jesus is being crucified. You know, um, we tend to think uh, in, in terms of the imagery we've seen about the crucifixion. 
And in fact, I was scrolling um, through social media today and I saw a picture with the hill and, and three beautiful crosses on it. And the cross was, you know, in the middle was taller and it had Jesus robe on it. And how many of you, you, you know that picture? And when you think of the cross, you think of Jesus hanging up on this high cross. But, but I want to I just maybe shed some light that maybe you've never heard or thought of tonight. Because just imagine with me for a moment, Jesus, Son of God, God manifest in flesh, completely innocent of all charges against Him as He is led to the place of crucifixion between two criminals who deserve to be there. And Luke 23:32 says two other men both criminals were also led out with Jesus to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. This is an incredible moment of pain in Jesus' life. It's an incredibly painful moment. We think of it in in romantic terms because it is the moment uh, that our salvation was was being wrought there on the cross. And how many of you ever got nostalgic thinking about the cross? That wasn't the 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 view and the the emotions of that day. It was a brutal scene of Jesus' most torturous and incredible pain in his life that he didn't even deserve. And and, and so uh, we often see these pictures of the cross way up high, and Jesus is higher. Than the people and they're looking up at him and they're mocking him and, and, and we see that but the historians believe that crucifixions actually happen just a few feet off the ground. In fact, the word crucify or, or, or ex, the word excruciating it comes from crucifix. It's out of the cross. That description of excruciating pain comes in our language from the language of the cross and, and the cross wasn't you know, suspended six feet off the ground where everybody could see. Historians believe that, that their feet were maybe less than a foot from the ground. And, and if you understand the nature of crucifixion, it, it wasn't just that they hung there. It was that they were being asphyxiated by the hanging of their body. And so they would push up with their feet and, and then they would tire out and they would sink down where they could no longer breathe. And it was torture because the ground was just... Right there, if they could just reach a little further, they would have been able to stabilize themselves and live. And it was, it was an incredibly painful moment. And the crowd mocks him and spits on him. And we think of him as pointing up at the cross, king of the Jews. But think about this, they were face to face, all around him. Not looking up at him, but surrounding him, jeering, screaming. Yelling, cursing, mocking, saying, you saved others, but you save yourself. Even the criminal next to him gets in on it. And the middle of all of that, in the middle of an unjust punishment, and about as bad a treatment as a human being can receive, Jesus looked to the sky from out of the middle of this horrible moment, and he prayed the prayer that you and I I've heard so many times. He said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. While being hurt. While being in pain. Suffering. In the middle of that. Now listen, I, I, I cannot relate to the level of pain that Jesus went through. 
All I know is that several times my, my kids have been around when I'm doing something that's intense or laboring or working out or, or whatever. If I'm out of breath, I'm mean. I tell my kids, I apologize to them later. I say, I know I snapped at you, but I couldn't breathe, you know. But in the middle of all that, Jesus in unbelievable pain. Anybody ever snapped when you had a headache? In the middle of unbelievable pain. Unjust pain. Jesus looks up and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And Jesus was asking forgiveness for something that seems unforgivable. Why? Because that's the kind of love that Jesus has. That's just how he loves us. Because, listen, most of us have been wounded. We've been abused. People took advantage of you. You've been betrayed. You've been gossiped about. You've been lied on. You've been cheated on. Your spouse betrayed you. Um, you maybe you had an unchristian uh, or a non-Christian parent that, uh, that, that persecuted you for your faith. Maybe you're tonight here holding a grudge against somebody who is no longer even alive. Maybe it's just not some big one-time offense, but ongoing smaller offenses. Somebody that always says that little thing that just gets your go. That, that person always does that thing that just gets up under your skin. Someone that just drives you crazy because you have a clash of personalities. And, and, and there's all kinds of forgiveness that needs to happen. Maybe you're bitter at God or mad at yourself. Maybe you did something here and you cannot forgive yourself. But tonight I want to point you to the love of Jesus because in knowing all of that, having been uh, exposed to all of that, Jesus in that scene on the cross is taking it all upon himself and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So how, how do you forgive like Jesus does? How do you do that? This is really the heart of the gospel because Jesus came to forgive sinners. Jesus came to set us free from sin. Jesus came to wipe the slate clean, to give his life as a ransom. Anybody believe that? I just Can I get an amen? just want to make sure y'all were still awake. Jesus came to forgive sinners. And, and as forgiven people, we are called to forgive other people. And so how, how do you forgive like Jesus forgives? Number one. You pray for those who hurt you. That's what Jesus did on the cross. You pray for those who hurt you. Listen to Luke 6, 28. He says, bless them that curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you. The New Living Translation says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. Pray for them. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would infect Fest their armpits with a flea of a thousand camels and make their arms too short to reach and scratch it. Pray for them. Lord, I just pray that they would walk underneath a falling piano out of a skyscraper. <laughs> Lord, I pray you'd give them hemorrhoids. <laughs> Not that kind of prayer. <laughs> Not that kind of prayer. Sometimes we just want to summon the imprecatory psalms. Brother Burl and I were talking about it Sunday at lunch. Is those psalms of David where he was like, Lord, I'm so glad you've loved me. Will you please kill my enemies? <laughs> Dash their children against the stones. You know, get them, God! Get them! 
Pray for them. Pray for those who hurt you. I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. Because we want to summon the imprecatory psalms and, and pray the, the judgment of God upon people. But he says, pray for those who hurt you. And Jesus, into this, this culture of revenge and, and getting even, Jesus makes this jaw-dropping statement in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What Jesus is, is he's drawing upon things that they've heard. Love, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Be good to your neighbor because, you know, you've got to look at them every day. If you hate your neighbor, you're already behind the eight ball. You didn't even qualify for the Old Testament way. But he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But this is what's jaw-dropping. Everybody in the crowd that was looking at him would have been shocked when he said the next part. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. See, what, what we don't understand is there were two crowds listening that day. There were Romans and there were Jews. And the Romans, they worshipped a god of revenge. They had a whole god designated for revenge. And when they got upset at somebody, they'd go to the revenge tabernacle over on 1st Street. And they would pray prayers to the god of revenge. Lord, help me get them good. Like them prayers we were talking about just a minute ago. And then you had the Jews in the crowd. And the Jewish law, we know it in the Old Testament... It said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, blood for blood. Do to them what they did to you. Do to them how they treated you. So if they were ugly, you could be ugly back. Free pass. Don't have to be Christian anymore. They said something bad. Now all bets are off <laughs> because now I'm free, right? That's how they looked at it, eye for an eye. If they hit you and you lost an eye, the Jewish law was, well, we, you get to take an eye of theirs. You know, I tried to justify my attitude with my siblings as a kid with my parents, and it never worked because I would tell them I'm treating them the way they want to be treated because my mom and dad would always say, do unto others as they would do. And when they, I, I would say, well, they must want to be treated that way because that's how they treated me. And surely they're obeying the golden rule. So they, they want to be done that way. So that's how I'm going to treat them. I'm going to get back. I'm going to get mine. But Jesus, into, into this culture, makes this jaw-dropping statement. He says, you've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy and pray for them that persecute you. Pray for them that persecute you. Pray for them, not pray against them. And if someone hurt you and devastated you and betrayed you, Jesus' love would lead you to pray for that person. Remember when I said forgiveness is easier to talk about than do? I'm talking about this part right here. When you get down on your knees and you're like, Lord, I need a raise at work and help old Billy Bob that, you know, slashed my tires last week too. <laughs> That's not natural to us. To want to pray for those that have persecuted and hurt us. Because when we are hurt and disappointed, our first response must be to pray for people and not against them. And, and that's a difficult thing to do in our flesh. But you've got to pray about that friend who lied on you. You've got to pray for that boss who mistreated you. You've got to pray, listen, 
Pray for the parent that left you. Pray for the friend that let you down or the former friend that let you down. Pray for the ex-spouse that walked out on you. Pray for that person that hurt you. You are never more like Jesus than when you pray for people who have hurt you. Why did Jesus teach this? Why, why, why did he say this? Pray for them that hurt you. Because, listen, a right attitude always precedes right actions. A right attitude will always come before the right actions come. You don't do the right actions out of the wrong attitude because that's when we end up grumbling those prayers you know, about fleas and camels and all that. But right, right attitude precedes right action. And so we have to learn to choose forgiveness before we feel forgiveness. Anybody ever experience this? Where you don't feel like forgiving, but you know you have to? You know you're called to? You know that's what your calling requires and, and, and what your Christianity evokes from you is to forgive? And you have to choose forgiveness before you feel like forgiving. You choose it first, and then you wait for the feeling. Some of y'all may be waiting for Jesus to return. And it may be before then... That the feeling comes along. But listen, you, over time, if we will get our attitude right, our actions will follow. If we will make the choice every day, I'm not going to let this get to me. I'm not going to let this define me. I'm not going to let this live inside me. I'm going to forgive. And, and if they do it again, I'm going to forgive again. And if they come at me the same way again, I'm going to forgive again. And if they abandon me again, I'm going to forgive again. And we just have to choose before we ever come to that crossroad what we're going to do because if we're waiting on the feeling we may never forgive we've got to by faith choose to let it go by faith choose to to let that person off of the hook because forgiveness isn't an emotional response it is a choice and if we will choose to love like jesus our emotions will eventually follow along by faith i choose to let it go my feelings will follow. And listen, when we pray these kind of prayers for those who have hurt us, and when we get down on our knees and we get genuine with God, and, and I believe it's, you may have a different theology, I believe it's perfectly okay to say, God, this is hard to say. But Lord, I want to have the right spirit and right attitude. And so I pray for that person. I pray you would bless them and keep them and let your face shine on them. I pray, God, that you would bless them and they come in and when they go out. And Lord, that you would touch their heart and in their, touch their mind. I believe when we tell God, that God listens and hears, and pretty soon our feelings will follow. Because my prayer for others may not change them. They may be the same to the day that they die, but my prayer for others will always change me. It may never change them, but it will change me. It may never affect their behavior, but it will affect my behavior. And if I by faith choose to forgive, then God will allow and open up the right spirit and attitude and, and, and fruit to come out of my mouth and into my life. And so, first of all, we've got to pray for others. And this is a simple lesson you could see from your series, God, I only really got two points. Here's the second one, is we have to forgive as we have been forgiven. Colossians 3.13 says, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I don't know about you, but Jesus has forgiven me of a lot of things. Over and over again, things I've prayed about and then gone right back and done again. 
things I've asked forgiveness for, and then stumbled and fell again. He's forgiven me over and over and over again. And, and, and it reminds me of Mary when she came in and poured the ointment on Jesus' feet. And, and, and Judas was mad, and others were saying, what a waste, and, and all of this. And Jesus says, she has given much because she has been forgiven of much. And so what if we forgave as extravagantly as we have been forgiven? That's what loving like Jesus looks like. That's what loving like Jesus looks like. Then Peter came to him, Matthew 18, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. He thought he was being pretty generous. Seven times. That's the number of completion. I'm completely done forgiving you after seven. (laughs) Seven times, Lord, seven. And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times but until 70 times 7. 70 times 7. How willing has God been to forgive you? Maybe you've even pushed the limit on 70 times 7 before with God. But God has forgiven us of so much. In fact, He forgives us so faithfully that the Scripture says that if we just confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive our sins. If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And I, I, I caught myself asking this question today. How is it just that he forgives our sins? Because listen, through the cross, Jesus took the penalty of sin. And it would be unjust to make me pay for a sin when I bring them to the one who paid for them in my place already. And so he is not just faithful... But he's just to forgive our sins because when we bring them to him, every time, every single time we come to him, he's faithful and just to forgive. And so I ask you tonight, what good is holding on to a grudge when God has been so good to you that he's never held your past against you? All you had to do was you come and you ask and he forgives. And, and I, I saw a preacher uh, preach one time and he grabbed a box of tissues and he was preaching about God's mercy is new every morning. And he says, and you mess up and, and it's like when you pull it out, it's gone, but it's not really gone because it's right there again. And every time we fail, And every time we fall and every time we let things get out of control in our heart and in our mind, his mercy is ever new. And that's how Jesus loves when the woman was caught in adultery. And they tried to use it as a theological trap against him. He looked around and he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And when they filtered away out of fear of being exposed, Jesus knelt down in the dirt with that woman. And he says, where are thine accusers? She says, I have none. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Had she sinned? Yes. Did she need forgiveness? Yes. And so what good does it do to hold on to a grudge? What good does it do to hang on to it? What good does it do to lay a hold of it and, and, and just live with it? I'll tell you what it does is, is when, we, when we don't love like Jesus and we love like this world loves. And we hold on to these grudges and, and these things in our heart and in our life. It's like this writer Anne Lamont said, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. It's like me drinking poison and hoping they will die. 
What we have to do is we have to forgive as we are forgiven. Freely. Jesus said 70 times 7 times will you forgive if your brother sins against you. I'm going to tell you, there, there are going to be opportunities. Opportunities are abundant. It's, in fact, offense is a sign of the times. He says that offenses will abound. Heart of many will wax cold in the end times. Is that many will be offended. And, and we live in a day where everybody's triggered and offended about something. Amen. Let it not rise up in the church. Amen. Let us have a thick skin and a forgiving heart in the church. But th- there's a book called The Bait of Satan. And he talks about how offense is a trap. It uses, the, the, the scripture uses the word scandalon of offense. That offense will rise in many. And that, that offense is a trap. And what Satan does is he lays these traps. And, and there are opportunity for you to get offended. Your pride is in that trap. And, and your personal self-respect is in that trap. And you feel like those things have been violated. It's easy to reach in and grab a hold of it. But it's a trap. It's a trap. There was an opportunity to be offended for me a few weeks ago. I felt the Lord speak to me. Don't take a hold of that bait. I pictured myself as a little fishy swimming in the water. And a fence shows up. And you can be offended at that. I felt the Lord say, don't bite that hook. Don't bite that hook. You just let it go when you forgive. And you just move on. And you don't harbor it and hold it. Because offenses will trap you into an unforgiven state. And he wants you to react rather than to respond. To say things that can't be taken back. And so forgiving someone cannot change the past. But I'm here to tell you that it can change your future. It can change your future. That if, if we learn to love like Jesus and let go of these things. If we set the prisoner free from what they owe us. We're going to find out that, that we're that prisoner. I close with this. Let's stand together. I didn't even get to all the scriptures I want to preach. There's plenty of, of good ones. I told Pastor, um, and we were talking about what the topic was tonight, and he told me that the Lord's been dealing with him. He may come back and preach on forgiveness. Maybe even Sunday, I don't know. But I felt the Holy Ghost as I was reading the story of Joseph the other morning. A beautiful story of forgiveness. Because his forgiveness was rooted in his understanding that God works everything for my good. Somebody say everything. God works everything together for my good. Everything. And after Jacob died, you know, Joseph had the grand reunion with his brothers and his father. They all moved to Egypt. But after, after Jacob dies, his brothers get scared. And they think, surely, now he is going to come down on us. Now dad's not here to watch and he doesn't care about us like he cared about dad. And they thought he was going to take revenge. And when, when Joseph hears this, when they come and they ask him, please don't take revenge, that he fell down and wept. He wept in front of them. He wept at the thought that he would not forgive them and that he would hold a grudge against them. And his response was, you meant it to me for evil. He said, but I understand. I understand what your intentions were. I mean, get this. This is a powerful statement. He says, you, I know you tried to do me in. I know that it was just ugly. That it, was, it wasn't just collateral damage. They, they set out to destroy. I know you meant it to me for evil. I know what you were doing. He wasn't deceived about their intentions. But he said, God meant it to me for good. 
and you may not have known it or felt it, but when you offended me or gave me the opportunity to have offense in my life, he said, you folded right into the plan of God. And God intended it to me for good. And so Joseph understood that what others do to me doesn't determine my outcome. That God does. But at the same time, I can cancel my own calling by what I choose to allow to live within me. If Joseph would have retaliated after his father's death, he would have erased the very reason that God allowed him to go through that stuff in the first place. He would have made the suffering senseless and stripped it of his purpose. He said, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so Joseph had no grudges to hold. He had no feelings to harbor towards his brother because he understood that even though they meant to do him evil, that he was in the hands of God and that God had directed him through it all. And so if I can appeal to you in any way tonight, it's, it's pray for those Pray for those that hurt you. Forgive as he forgave you. And set that prisoner free. Let him go. Let him off the hook. Amen. I want us to pray. The ushers are going to come here in just a moment. I know I went over just a couple minutes. But I feel like we need to pray because there's always an opportunity for somebody to let go of something you've been hanging on to. Amen. There are people with deep hurts that, that I couldn't even begin to explore from this pulpit in this room right now. And I want to tell you that, that you have an opportunity to set yourself free. Amen. Can we just pray right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, we know that your word says that if we will forgive others, you will forgive us, God. And so, Lord, if there's anything in our hearts, God, anything in our life, anything that we're hanging on to, a dislike of another person, God, a distrust of another person, a, a, a grudge that we've harbored, a hurt that we've kept in our life and in our mind. And, and, Lord, we ask you to take that from us today. And, Lord, we make the choice to forgive tonight because we know that that's what your love is really like, God. We pray, Lord, that you would let the love of God shine through the church and help us to love others as you've loved us. In Jesus' name, we pray and we ask you to do it. And everybody that believed it, would you say amen?